3: Hi, I'm Rick Henderson and I'll be your host for the next couple of weeks on the Pocket Limp Podcast. It's been a busy last seven days with a major surprise coming from Google as it announced its next Pixel phones considerably earlier than usual. The Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro represent a major change both externally in their design and internally thanks to the debut of Google's own chipset, Google Tensor. Pocket Lins Editor Chris Hall will be joining me in a bit to discuss the announcement and what it will mean for Pixel fans. You will then be able to listen to a chat regular host Stuart Miles had with the CEO of electric bike startup Van Moof, who explains how and why Apple's Find My technology is built into the company's cycles. And we'll end with Reviews Editor Mike Lowe telling us about his hands-on experience with the Nintendo Switch OLED model. He got some access to one recently, so we explain whether it's worth upgrading come release in October. But first, back to the Pixel 6 series phones. So Chris, tell us all about the new handsets and Google's surprising announcement.
1: Well, this is a bit of a strange one because normally companies are fighting as hard as they can to protect all of the information about their new devices. we would seen Samsung and Apple recently threatening people with legal action if they don't remove content that they're leaking. Google has gone to the other end of the extreme and revealed a a huge (laughs) amount of information about its own phones, which is kind of unusual, really. And And I suspect that some of this is about trying to fend off launches that are going to happen before Google gets around to launching its own devices. As you said, it's the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. And we'd seen some leaks around these devices before showing off quite an unusual design on the back where you have a big bar for the camera, which does make them look a little bit different. And I, and I, and I suspect that this is going to be a sort of Marmite moment where some people love it and some people don't really like it at
3: all. It reminds me somewhat of the uh, side panel of a Hillman Imp. Which uh, and and is extremely retro. Um, what I w- worry about, and uh, do you feel the same, is how it will fit in a pocket.
1: Well, I don't think it's going to be that big, really. I do wonder how you're going to fit a case onto it with that huge gap at the back, because I I haven't I can imagine the top of the case sort of flipping away at the top of the phone. Um, but i'm I'm sure it will be fine. I don't think these phones are going to be excessively large one There is one advantage to having a bar of camera at the top rather than on one side. It means that you're when you put your phone down on a desk, it won't wobble around if you're typing on it, which is going to be pretty cool anyway. I think the reason that Google started telling us about these phones probably a few months, three months maybe, before they're actually going to launch them is because the, the announcement was really about something else. It was about what's powering these phone, which is Google's own silicon hardware, which is it's calling Tensor. We knew that Google was working on something. there have been rumors about it for some time. And uh, Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, actually said that this has been in development for many, many years. The aim here is to make this the perfect hardware to go with the phone And to be able to power the AI experiences and the machine learning experiences that we're expecting to see packed into it. Exactly how this is going to work out, exactly how it's going to compare to the Qualcomm that you might normally see in one of these phones, we don't yet know. But there's a lot happening here. And this is probably going to be the biggest Pixel launch that we've seen from Google really since they launched this series of devices.
3: We we don't know an awful lot about Tensor quite yet. There wasn't an awful lot of uh, information shared during the announcement. But do you think that this um, this new chip uh, technology, the new the new Google silicon, will actually end up in other devices?
1: Well, it would seem to make sense that if Google is going to be serious about its hardware, and perhaps move back into tablets, then we'd see it in that. Although Google stepped away from tablets uh, a couple of years ago and said, we're not going to do that for now. It might be that it's trying to develop some of its own hardware that it can use in some of its devices in in the Nest family, for example. And it could well be that it's trying to get something better suited to run Chromebooks and the way that we use Chromebooks, because they want Chromebooks to be ultra mobile and always on so that people can take them away with 5G connections, and we've seen various moves from other people to create hardware to do this, it might be that Google is going to say, well, let's do our own Chromebook hardware and and go down that route instead. So perhaps we'll see it somewhere else, or this being Google, they might just develop it, put it in a phone, and that be it.
3: Um, I know, again, this isn't something that you'll know straight off the top of your head, but um, Apple, when it launched Apple Silicon, it launched it, uh, the M1 chip in in the uh, MacBook range um, and the latest iPad, has had a few teething troubles with app support in the fact that uh, third-party developers obviously have to attune their apps to uh, cope with the silicon. Do you think that um, app developers will have to do the same for Google Tensor? And therefore, will we see some rocky roads for, say, the millions and millions of Android apps that are already existing?
1: I, I, to be honest, I don't think that's going to be a problem Um I suspect that the the hardware that Google is actually developing will be fairly conventional. I don't think it's going to be a huge departure from what we already see out there. There are some rumors that it's going to be manufactured by Samsung on its five nanometer processes, and it may be that it's just devoting more of its uh, more of the chip to specific hardware cores to develop to uh, to to work on things like AI, giving those preference over some other things. So. I don't actually think there's going to be compatibility problems, but you never know. It might be that some things just don't work well. I mean, the advantage here is it's it's going to be all in the Android environment. It's all going to be supported by Google, and there's a vested interest for them to make sure that everything works rather than just Google's own apps.
3: I think the other question really then is uh, when are we expecting these Pixel phones?
1: That's one of the things they haven't told us, but previous experience would suggest that they'll launch sometime in early October.
3: And, uh, and what's your personal um, opinion about the look?
1: I like the look. I think it's bold. I think it's dramatic. But I was one of those people who liked the bright orange Pixel that came out a couple of years ago too. So I'm not saying I'm right, but yeah, I like it. It's different and that's important. So many phones look the same and this looks a little bit different.
3: That's exactly it. Every every phone nowadays, it's hard to differentiate between phones. This certainly stands out, at least in the images of the rear. Um, we don't know an awful lot about the specs yet, though, do we?
1: Uh, no, there's. we don't really know a lot at all. One of the images that they have released, you could see some curves towards the side, suggesting that on the Pro there will be a curved display at the edges. Um, they've also said that there's going to be a telephoto lens, four times telephoto lens on the back of the Pro as well so that's about as far as we can go for now
3: Still to come Mike tells us what he thinks of the Nintendo Switch OLED model from his hands-on session I just feel like the Switch
0: is more about the games, so I think those who are disappointed by the, the sound of it not being that different to the original it's all about just getting the best console you can for the experience you want and just buying some of the games, because Nintendo makes some of the best games in the industry.
3: Now though, Stuart recently had the chance to speak with the CEO of fast-growing e-bike manufacturer Van Moof, Taco Carlier, about its adoption of Apple's Find My tracking technology in its cycles. The company is renowned for its anti-theft features, so does this add an extra layer of protection? Stuart started the conversation by asking how much people have embraced e-bikes.
4: Yeah, yeah, that uh, that differs a lot per country. In, for example, I'm from from Amsterdam, from the Netherlands, and in the Netherlands, um, more e-bikes are sold than uh, than uh, regular bikes right now. Um, so it's already a really big market. I think uh, Germany and France are a bit behind the Netherlands, uh, and then the UK uh, and the US follow. So. Um, it's it's already a big market here, and it's uh, turning into a big market uh, in the rest of the world.
2: Now, a lot of that, some people will say, was because effectively for the last uh, twelve to eighteen months, we've we've kind of not really been able to go anywhere, and, and cycling was one of the things that we we have been able to do throughout that time. How much do you think that? that was driven partly by by lockdowns around the world but that now that we're all coming back to normality do you think the appetite is still there
4: yes definitely and uh, the reason is this is already this started already a, a few years before the pandemic and uh um, i think the pandemic accelerates the growth of of e-bikes uh, a bit uh, but also people commute less, so it's 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 you could also say we grew despite of the pandemic. But this this is completely uh, something else going on. And what's going else? What's going on is this um, in in Amsterdam um, almost fifty percent of the of all commutes are on a bike, and that's mm. because uh, bikes are the most uh, fun, most uh, affordable. Uh, most healthy but definitely the fastest way to get around um, to get around town in in modern cities but in amsterdam it's easy because it's a small city relatively small it's very flat and the climate is very bike friendly but if you want to commute on a bike in new york or paris or london or san francisco or tokyo it's much more challenging yeah Uh, and e-bikes overcome that challenges they uh, flatten hills they shrink cities and they prevent uh, any sweating in uh, in the summer uh, so therefore because of e-bikes uh, bikes suddenly become uh, the best one of the best alternatives for urban transport and that's what's happening right now uh, as i said the pandemic accelerated a bit but uh, it will the growth will definitely continue after the uh, pandemic and it will uh, completely change the way how we move around in 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 uh, in cities all over the globe
2: and is there a certain type of person that buys buys an e-bike is it is it older people thinking oh that's quite a long way i don't think i've got enough uh enough energy to to do that is it something that's that's you know a, long, a younger person thinking oh i can see the advantages here and spin through or is it just you know there is a quite a wide gamut of people buying these things
4: no it's 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 uh in the netherlands it started with older people uh 15 years ago because um with e-bikes they were able to uh yeah to create enough power to to uh, keep on on cycling Uh, i think this is the first uh, trend that started with older people and then slowly diverged to to younger people because what happened is that uh, uh, after a few years uh, um, after the older people were using it people in urban areas discovered that uh, it's a it's a great tool it's a great commuter tool so uh, and that's exactly what happened now so it started with uh, uh, in the Netherlands with people uh, above 60 and now the uh, uh, average age of the e-bike uh, uh, buyers is uh, is going down and down every year and now we even see school kids that used to go by bus or uh, by a moped uh, conv- uh, switch to to e-bikes
2: Cool. Cool. And, and one of the big criticisms of, of e-bikes, certainly in the past, has, has been, obviously, you have to plug them in to charge them up. And that trying to get your bike near a plug is not necessarily the most easiest thing, certainly if you're in a flat or, or you know, in a communal space or things like that. I know that you've got a, a, a bolt-on battery to extend the range of, of the bikes that you offer. Do you think that that's it's a problem that needs to be solved with having the whole battery removed? And and if so, when do you think we're likely to see that?
4: No, I think um, first the problem will solve itself as uh, uh, micro mobility as urban mobility is uh, uh, is further being electrified. Um, plugs more plugs will appear on uh, on the streets, but also. Uh, uh, at bicycle parking stations or, every, or maybe at restaurants and bars. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is that we have a very big battery. It's uh, 600 watt hour. So you can ride um, uh, over 50 uh, to 100 miles with it, depending on, on how much you cycle yourself. So um, you don't have to charge it uh, every day. um and on top of that, we now have the removable power pack that you can bring inside to charge it and then put it on the bike. Um, in general, we don't have, a, um, apart from the power pack, we don't have a removable battery. And that's because we believe it works much better to have an integrated battery. It looks better. It can't be stolen. And, um, uh, um, it's 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 better from a dur- durable durability mm. perspective um, so we'll stick with this solution having an integrated battery uh, and for people who need it an, an extra power pack um, because we believe from a design perspective it's the right choice
2: and do you think there'll come a time where obviously like if you look at other battery technologies you know and devices that use them on mobile phones, it seems that everything is about fast charging and trying to get the charging as fast as you can to you know get you back up to speed. If you look at the electric car industry, it's about chucking in as much power as you can you know kilowatts into that charge as quick as you can to again pr- speed that process up obviously with with the standard batteries it's about just plugging it in, but is that something you're working on in or the industry as a whole is working on it in trying to you know you roll up to a cafe five minutes of charge you're done off you go you know you don't you're done for the week kind of thing
4: yeah it's it's um I, I think we would we would definitely be working on it if it was a big issue but i don't think our our customers uh uh see this as a really big issue and i'm thinking out loud why that is but i think the bike is a very efficient way of transport and uh, with this battery that's on it, you you're able to cycle all day and charge it while you sleep. Um, so uh, only if you if you if you want to ride your bike to Paris, you have to hmm. uh, uh, maybe s- 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 uh, uh, have a big lunch break in order to charge your battery. But for that, we have the the extra power pack. So yeah, it's just not that big of an issue for most uh for most customers. We don't get many questions for, for fast charging. If we will get if we would get more, I, I uh I would start working on it right away.
2: Right, right. Now one of the things you have uh introduced which is obviously very new and you were one of the founding partners through this is uh Apple's Find My App and and the network and, and joining that ahead of the launch of the AirTags recently how how did that come about why is that a good idea and and have you got any sort of insights into how it was with working with apple
4: yeah i think um we've um uh, we've spent a lot of time in the past working on uh uh on anti theft features so we have our own uh alarm systems our own integrated lock and also a a, a tracking system, but that system is more focused on on, on theft. Uh, the uh, uh, connection uh, uh, of our bike to the Apple uh, Find My platform is built so people can find their own bikes uh, via the the, the the Find My system. So it's in addition to uh, to our own technology and. Yeah I think it's it's a, it's a great system as it uh, as it uses every Apple uh, device in the world to uh, uh as an as an as an um as a sensor to to yeah. find back your stolen goods so it was a uh a, a a brilliant opportunity for us to be uh selected as as one of the uh, the first partners um that are uh allowed to connect to the system
2: and as the and what's the uptake been like are you, is are the customers loving it are they help is it helping them find their bike again
4: yeah definitely i think uh, uh um so in the past they always had to call us uh if uh, or call us or report the bike stolen in the past and now we see that they um yeah um can find the bike themselves um so for us it's a it's it's a it's a big addition to the solutions we already had
2: and and on the journey of of electric bikes and i know they've come a long way even in a very short space of time over the last couple of years how how far do you think we are on that journey and and what innovations can we expect from either yourselves or the industry as whole over the next couple of years
4: I think a lot. I think we're now, I, I sometimes compare it to the uh, iPhone phase I, in the beginning where every iPhone uh, that was launched, the iPhone 3 compared to the 2 and the 4 to 3, to the 3 was so much better that everyone uh, switched. I think we we see the same in, in e-bikes now. Every two years, uh, there's so much improvements Um that um yeah that that people like to switch to the to the to the newer models it's a very uh new uh, category and uh, and and it has enormous potential uh for us as a company it me- meant that we completely changed um how we produce bikes in the past we we built bikes applying the rules of the bike industry but now we're applying the rules of the of the consumer electronics industry bikes are becoming like uh uh, uh like smartphones uh, because this integrating this battery um gives so much more opportunities on uh on 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 uh, connectivity um, and on 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 tech features that can improve the the use of bikes, and that's what we're we're seeing right now. So we did not only uh, just add a battery and a motor on our bikes. We completely vertically integrate uh, integrated the supply chain in order to um, yeah improve the uh, um, the production of bicycles.
2: And if there was one feature that you don't have at the moment that you are really trying to work towards that you'd love to see, uh, what would that be?
4: Uh, I would love if we can use the bicycles within a city to uh, improve uh, urban life so that if the bikes could become uh, sensors to... um, to improve cities. So it could be cameras, could be air pollution sensors, um, ways we can improve the, the safety or the air quality or anything within a city. I think that's uh, something we will see in the next five to 10 years.
2: So the sort of the idea that the bikes become sort of a, a research platform for, for, to be able to test air quality and things like that as they are cycling around around those places.
4: Yeah, that would be uh, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah.
3: Now on to gaming and the forthcoming Nintendo Switch OLED model. Nintendo perhaps shocked us all with a new version of its hugely popular hybrid games console, the Nintendo Switch. Not least because it didn't feature many of the much leaked improvements often written about beforehand. However, it's still an improvement on the existing Switch and not much more expensive. Mike Lowe travelled to London to play with one to find out if it's worth the fanfare. Right, Mike, um, you've recently visited uh, Nintendo Towers to have a prime look at the new Nintendo Switch OLED model. Bit of a mouthful, pretty much the same thing. So tell us all about it.
0: So, like you say, it's basically a Nintendo Switch with an OLED screen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's... I, well, hang on, there's, there's two ways of looking at this, right? So there was quite a lot of build-up to a lot of people expecting a Nintendo Switch Pro. That didn't happen. The Switch OLED is not that. It's basically just an improved kind of Switch 1.5, if you like, um, which is basically all that the original was. All the insides are exactly the same, but you've got a slightly bigger OLED screen and... Um, and a new kickstand on the back so it just improves little bits that could have been improved with the original and it it does that and it kind of runs away with that but it but it isn't the pro that some were expecting so i think there's kind of two different angles you might be really disappointed that you wanted this next level switch that doesn't yet exist or well, you might be really happy because if you don't have a switch then this one quite clearly is is the best model of the bunch
3: we'll come to the screen in a minute because that's obviously its biggest um, asset yeah but um it also has extra storage doesn't it
0: mm. so it doubles the storage but the thing is the original had what 32 gig and this yeah. one doubles it to 64 so you know it's it's not like a 512 gigabyte ssd or anything it's it's a bit more space definitely welcome but then you've got to pay a little bit more money to have the console anyway um, but you still got the micro sd card slot on the back and to be honest you can buy what another 64 gig for probably about 15 pounds so it's not a total loss and it is an improvement so at least they've addressed that slightly
3: yeah um and there's the kickstand in the back for uh dual player gaming does the actual console feel any different in the hand uh not
0: really i so i took my actual switch to this session just to have a little side-by-side comparison um nintendo were being very strict so i couldn't take any photographs but that's fine that's it's kind of the rules across the world until, until it comes out in October. But genuinely, when I kind of balance one in one hand and one in the other, this one is a tiny bit heavier, but you just wouldn't know. If you look on the spec, it goes, oh, it's a little bit heavier. And sure, but genuinely, you don't really notice that at all. So in terms of size, it's they've been quite clever with it because it's exactly the same height, and it's almost exactly the same footprint as the original. So you can use any existing Joy-Cons with it. Um, it's really not that different to console, so they haven't complicated it. They haven't overcomplicated it by kind of introducing a whole new type of console, um, which is I think that's a good thing because if you've got existing Joy Cons or you want to get some other ones or whatever the case is, it's all cross compatible if you happen to have more than one Switch in the house.
3: And um, essentially, the biggest thing, the biggest change, is that the screen is bigger. Now, is that because, I mean, I guessed at this when I first wrote about it, is it because um, the backlight for the LCD screen was uh, edge lit, so they had to have um, LEDs built into the bezel, but, of course, an OLED panel is self-illuminating, so therefore doesn't need any kind of uh, backlight at all. Um, Is that how you think they have done it? Um, It's...
0: I think it's down to age. If you look at things like laptops, the bezels have got so small over the course of time, irrelevant almost, if they're LCD or OLED. Um, and if you go back to the original Switch, still love my Switch, it's great, but actually, the bezel's fairly chunky on it. So effectively, what they've done with the OLED model is they've just reduced the bezel. So they've taken the screen up to seven inches, which is up from six point two in the original one, um, and you just see that in the bezel kind of decreasing. So. If, if you're using it side by side, you can see a very obvious difference. But if you just pick up the OLED one for the first time, it just feels like a like a more up-to-date switch. You just get a much cleaner view. Um, it's a bit more edge-to-edge, not entirely. There is still bezel. And actually, the bezel on the new one, the OLED, is probably the biggest issue I have with it because it's a little bit glossy and reflective, and um, the original ones isn't. So I found that kind of a bit too noticeable with um, overhead lighting. And that was a bit of a That's interesting. Yeah.
3: I have not heard that yet. Um, let's go back to the actual screen performance. Mm. Um, and now, obviously, OLED as a technology, having seen many an OLED TV and and mobile phone, is it, does does the Nintendo Switch OLED screen offer better performance, as in co- better color saturation, better contrast?
0: So yeah, you can when you side by side them, it's it's quite clearly different. Um, in the OLED panel, it's not necessarily brighter because that's not really an OLED technology as such. Um, it's just cleaner. It looks a bit cooler in terms of the white balance. The colors pop a bit more. Um, and when you compare it to the original, it just there's something more crisp about it. It just has a, a better overall look. Plus, it's bigger, um, and that kind of whole closer to edge to edge vision gives you a much kind of better overall. Almost not immersive because it's a handheld console, but you feel kind of more like you're pushing yourself into the action. So it's definitely a step upwards.
3: What games did you actually uh, get to play on it?
0: Had a go on Zelda. Uh, I took my own as well, so I was trying to side-by-side the intros of those to to get a comparison. Um, We did um, some desktop mode uh, Mario Kart, which I definitely didn't do very well in because I picked... um, baby Bowser and he's terrible <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> and a bit of uh, Mario as well um, so we we're kind of trying to explore the different ways you can play because obviously um, although we didn't actually get to play this on TV you can play it on a big TV screen you can play it handheld or there's the desktop mode which is where you pop out the, um, the stand at the back um, and the stand I, I've got to point out how much better the stand is actually it's probably the biggest improvement in a way because um, if you've got an original switch, you'll know the stand on the back is a bit like a toothpick. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, it's flimsy. This so one,
0: Yeah. Th- this one is across the whole back of the console and it's variable. So you can really position it kind of as you please get the angle perfectly right. And it's just much stronger. Um, so it's a definite step up there. So if you want to use it, um, like when you're on the go, if you're balancing on a table or what and playing with mates with your Joy-Cons, then it's spot on for that. So that's, that's really good. Um the thing is, I suppose, is I don't know if I see the Switch OLED as being the Switch you would buy for on the go because there's the Switch Lite. <laughs> so it's a bit of a yeah. it, it's a bit of a busy um, console section now because you've got the original, the Lite, which you can't play on TV, and the OLED, which you can play on TV. But if you're going to buy the OLED to only play it on TV, you might as well buy the original because you're saving money and making no difference. If you want the ultimate on-the-go experience then actually you'd want the switch oled because it's bigger and looks better um so in a way it kind of elbows the light a little bit out of uh, out of the arena i feel
3: i wonder if there will be a switch light oled model somewhere it, down the line
0: could very well be um and i'm not so sure with what because i don't have one i'm not too sure what the uh screen bezel on that is like in, in the current model so yeah.
3: it's very similar to the uh to the normal switch in many respects because obviously um, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's a 5.5-inch screen.
0: Okay, yeah, I knew so it was it's a lot smaller. Yeah, in a way, um, kind of the three step up, don't they? It's like you start in the smallest, it goes to the medium and then to a bigger size. That's kind of almost the way to look at it, is which which screen size you want against how much you want to pay for it, really, because the experience, ultimately, in a handheld format, is identical from, from one to the next, more or less.
3: Well, the big question then, I think the final question is, uh, would you pay an extra £30-$30 stroke uh, for the Switch OLED model over a conventional Nintendo Switch?
0: If I didn't have a Switch, 100%, absolutely. If I have had a Switch and, let's say, I had a damaged screen or something, definitely I'd upgrade it. But as my Switch is in perfectly good condition, I don't really have a need to get one. Um, so I see this not for upgraders, but for for those who aren't part of the Switch family yet, Um or maybe you're buying a a second console for someone else in the house. And and for that, it'll be great, although you might have a slightly jealous sibling. Um, But really, above all, I just feel like the Switch is more about the games. So I think those who are disappointed by the the sound of it not being that different to the original, it's all about just getting the best console you can for the experience you want and just buying some of the games because Nintendo makes some of the best games in the industry. And that really is, I think, the takeaway to to always think about with this, this console series.
3: And that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I've been Rick Henderson. Tatty bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer.